So welcome back. Let's talk a little bit more about some more complex conditional statements that uh, sort of build on this concept of if and if-then-else. The first thing we're going to look at is the, so the multi-way branch. And so the idea is it's kind of like the if-then-else where you're going to pick one of two, but now we can pick one of three or one of four or one of five. Um, and it introduces a new concept called the LF. The LF is another reserved word inside Python. And the way it works is it, it's probably best to look at this here where it, it checks the first one, and if it's a true, then it runs that, and then it's done. It doesn't check them all. It's not like it sees that there are two logical conditions. It actually checks them, the first one, and how you order these matters, as we'll see in a bit. And so if the first one is true, it runs. If the, if the first one is false and the second one is true, it runs this one and it's done. And if the, um, neither of them are true, it falls through and there's an else clause that is uh, otherwise and it runs that. So, so basically, it's either going gonna, gonna to run one and then skip the other two, or it is going to, you know, skip, skip one, skip two, and then run this one. But it only runs, in this case, one of them. But the important thing is it checks these questions in order. And it doesn't check the second question until it finds that the first... It doesn't check the second question until it knows the first question is false. So if the first question is true, you're done. You're done and you're done with this. You're done with the whole block at that point. So only one of these three is going to execute in that block. So here's sort of some examples of this. If we, for example, have x equals zero, it's going to come down here. X is less than true. That's true. So it runs this code and then it skips, skips, skips down to the that. And so it's like this runs that code, and then skips to the end. Okay. On the other hand, if it's 5, then this is false, and it skips that, and it checks this. This is true. It runs this code, and then it's done, skips to the end. It goes like false, true, run, end. And then if x is like 20, for example, it runs, it runs, false, false, run the else clause and you're done. So skip, skip, oh, else, run that code and you're done. So in this case we ran that and we didn't run that and we didn't run that. Again, one of them's going to run, they're checked in order, these questions are checked in order, not out of order. Um, it doesn't look ahead, it just checks in the order that you wrote it. You, you're the one that wrote that order. And so there's a couple of variations on this multi-way. You can have no else you can have no else, as in this case, and this just means that it might not run any of them. In this case, x is 5, uh, so it's, it's not less than 2, but then it runs this one. But if x was like you know, 50, for example, if x was 50, then this would be false, then it would skip, and this would still be false, and it would skip, and neither of these two would run. So if you don't have an else, you're not guaranteed that one of them is going to run because else is like the catch-all. If the other ones are all false, then the else is the one that runs. Similarly, you can have many LFs, but this is where it's really important for you to make sure you know what order they're being taken in. So I've got, you know, this, if this is true, it runs. It goes all the way to the bottom. If, you know, this was, if, if it's false, 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 true, it runs this one and it's done. If, on the other hand, it looks at it as false, oops, go back, go back. 
If it runs false, 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 they're all false, then it runs the else. Right? This one has an else. This one didn't have an else. They don't have to have them. The key is you can have more than one of these elifs. Okay? So I got a couple little things. I'll let you pause right now and look at the question is, are there looking at the three lines or four lines of code, x equals something. Are there lines of code that will never execute regardless of the value for x? And I'll let you pause and think about it, and then I'll explain it to you. Okay, hopefully you paused and thought about it as long as you like, but so let me now explain it to you. So we come in here, and if x is less than or equal to 2, it's going to run this first thing, and if x is greater than or equal to 2, it's going to run this, and if neither of those are true, then it's going to run this. Well, the weird thing is, for, there's no, all numbers are either less than 2 or greater than or equal to 2. I carefully constructed this to the point where it would never run this line of code. It is either going to run this one or run that one, but it's not going to ever run this one. So that was kind of like a weird dysfunctional one that I constructed. This other one is a little different. If x is less than 2, we do this. If x is less than 20, we do that. If x is less than 10, we do that. And if none of those are true, we do that. Well, the problem here is between these two lines. The problem is if something's less than 10, like 6, for example, it's also less than 20. So even though this, there might be values for which this is true, those also are going to have this true. So for something like 6, it's going to run here, and it's not even going to look at this. That's the point. It doesn't even look at this. And so that's... I mean, I could have made this more sensible if I had moved this little block of code up to there. So this is where the order in which you choose your questions, the, the way you put these LFs together matters because it doesn't look at all of them. It only looks as long as it can. As long as it sees falses, then it keeps on going to the next one. But as soon as it doesn't see a false, it doesn't continue. So the last conditional structure we'll talk about is the try and accept structure. If you, look, if you know any other languages like C++ or Java or JavaScript, you're like, whoa, that's kind of an, an advanced concept. And it, but it turns out in Python, because of Python's propensity to um, throw tracebacks in situations where you kind of would like to recover, it, it turns out you kind of have to use it a little more and a little earlier in your programming skill. So the problem is, is what if you, there is a line of code and you absolutely know it's going to make a traceback? It's going to blow up. But you don't want to blow up. I mean, I don't want to blow, have code blow up. If you're using my autograder and you see a traceback in my autograder, that's kind of like I consider that a failure. I could put an error like, hey, you entered blank data or you didn't enter a number. But a traceback, that just seems like I'm too lazy as a programmer. So we as programmers are supposed to anticipate parts of our code that are going to blow up potentially based on perhaps the user's input and then do something about it. And that's what the try and accept are for. It's you take this little dangerous piece of code that might break and might blow up and you surround it with a try and says this might blow up and if it fails run this code down here. Okay, So that's the try and if you get an exception, the accept is kind of like if you get an exception. And the, the problem is, is if you are running code, here's a little bit of code, we, we put hello Bob in and we convert it to an integer and we know from past experience that this blows up, right? You can't take hello Bob and convert it to an integer. It's just going to blow up. The problem is, is and you know, here we are. It says, oh, you blew up on line two. That's great. And I'm not very happy with hello Bob and, and whatever. But the important thing is your program stops. 
these these other lines they, they don't oops these other lines they don't exist right it doesn't go any further it it, it remember the traceback is I'm Python is really confused and I don't know what to do next so Python is just going to be conservative and stop so Python stops and your program stops no matter how much error checking you put down here it doesn't matter because it's gone it's all gone and like I said we we take this kind of personally because the code that you write is like the you know you being put into the computer giving it instructions and if the code blows up well that sort of wipes you out you're not in the game anymore you're not able to do anything so we want to be able to especially in these situations where we can anticipate that a an error that might happen in the normal course of your pro program's execution might be something that you want to compensate for and that's what the try and accept does so here's a bit of code for the try and accept um, and we just have two little bits of uh, straight line code. And so we put a string in here that's hello Bob, and then we're going to convert it to an integer. This is the dangerous code. This code in this case with hello Bob is going to do a traceback. And so we say try, and then we indent the dangerous code, and then we put add this little accept bit. If it works, the accept is ignored. If this blows up, it runs the accept. So in this code, it's going to come in, it's going to try the it's going to try this. This is going to blow up. But instead of giving a traceback, it's going to say, oh, I've got an available accept. I'm going to run this accept code, and then I'm going to continue on. And so that prints out first negative 1. So because we set this variable iStir to negative 1, like a little flag telling us that something went wrong. And then we keep on going, and now we have put in 1, 2, 3, the digits 1, 23, no, the digits 1, 2, 3, and now it's going to work, but we still have it in a try block, and then this one works. It does not blow up and then it ignores the accept block. So the accept block is only triggered when something goes wrong in the code. It is ignored if something doesn't go wrong. So it's like you bought an insurance policy on this line of code, and when things go wrong, your accept block springs into action and does whatever it is that you want it to do in the case of an error. Okay, so that's a pretty useful thing. You gotta be a little bit careful that you don't overuse it, because if you put more than one line inside the try part, and it one of the lines blows up, it doesn't come back to the try block. And so in this one, in this one here, we have kind of a simple, silly one where we set the string, we're worried about some stuff. Well, the print statement's never going to blow up, so it's a bad idea to put it in try except anyways. Then we do this conversion, and that's the dangerous part. And in this one, it's going to blow up. And, and so then it's going to go to the accept block and then run the accept block and then continue. What it does not do, what it doesn't do is somehow go back and finish this. So these lines are gone. So if you look at it like this, this works. The try starts. Hello. This blows up. It goes to the accept. It runs the accept, and it continues on. Never runs that code. So it's not like you took out an insurance on the whole block. Any of those lines can blow up in the block, but whichever line blows up, that is the last line that's executing in that block. Okay? So you tend to want, in this particular example, you would probably, you know, the print statement would go out there and this print statement would come down here and you would only put in your try block the single line of code that you think might blow up because you kind of know print statements aren't going to blow up. So this is an example uh, that's a more common real-world example where the user is going to type some data. And that's users that get us in trouble. So we, our program starts by asking the user to enter a number and we know that this could be dangerous. So we're going to do it, we're going to put the 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 conversion from string to integer in a try block, and we're going to set negative 1 if that's a failure, 
And then if it's, if it's greater than zero, we'll say nice work. And if it's less than zero, well, not a number. So first time we run this program, out comes enter a number. We type in 42, which is a string. That 42 goes back into roster, runs in here. This runs. It's fine. That becomes a 42 number. So we skip the accept block. And iVal is greater than zero. We print out nice work, and we skip the else. Okay, So it says nice work. On the other hand, if we run it again, this time, the input says enter a number, and we be, we're silly, we enter the word 42, but in, in words, 40, F-O-U-R-T-Y. So that's a string, and that goes into raw stir. And then the execution continues. We run in here, and now this is going to blow up. That's going to blow up. Normally, we would see a traceback right there. There would be a traceback. But we're not going to because we put this calculation in a try and accept block. It's going to immediately run the accept block, set iVal to negative 1, continue on with the program. See, you are not blown up at this point. And if iVal is greater than 0, well, it's negative 1, so we're going to hit the else clause and print out not a number. So we've done error detection. The user set something that caused a line of our code to kind of blow up, but we put that line in a try and accept block, and so we caught it. And so we, we dealt with that fact. So in summary, in this, we talked about if statements, we talked about else, we talked about try and accept, how, in, how important indentation is to, to mark blocks where they begin in the end, um, and an else if, and uh, try accept. So uh, up next, we're going to talk about uh, loops and iteration.